So uh, we're uh, going ahead in our series about prayers, prayers in the New Testament. And last time, you might remember, we uh, were looking at John 17. John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's the closing prayer of the upper room discourse. So Jesus' last conversation with the disciples before his death. And uh, so last time we know, we looked at the first two requests in the in the prayer. Um, the first one is uh, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. And the second one is very similar. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And uh, <clears throat> we, uh, we talked about how uh, glorify your son that the son may glorify you is most likely a reference to the glory, the glory of the cross itself, the, the lifting up of the Son of Man to draw all men to himself. And then the second, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was, is really a reference to the glory of Christ's ascension, his return to the Father, after his death and after his resurrection. So um, anyway, today we're coming to the third request, which uh, I just want to read. I've given you the text on the handout here, um, and we're going to kind of end with this transition text between the two prayers, uh, beginning in verse 9. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. That's our prayer request. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. <clears throat> I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We're going to talk about the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Um, so this is the third request of the high priestly prayer. Father, keep them. 
Now, the first question we want to ask is, who is them? Them, I think he's identified. That's why I went back and read verses 9 and 10. Who is he praying for? I'm praying not on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me. So at the moment, it's the disciples in the room with him, but that category, and later he's going to say this quite clearly, not just them, but also the ones who will believe in me uh, through their word. You know, So that, would, that comes down to us. So he's praying this for all... Uh, all of those people in this category, uh, those whom you have given me. <laughs> so he's asking for them, and he's, he gives a reason why, for they're yours. And all the, everything that's mine is yours, and yours is mine. I've been glorified in them. And here he's talking about he's been glorified in the disciples. <clears throat> uh, so... Who is them? Uh, those who, all, all the people who belong to the Father, given to the Son. So belong to the Father, belong to the Son, because they belong to the Son, they belong to the Father. The people claimed by God, you might say. And one thing we might want to notice this here is that here in the book of John, believers are pictured as a gift from the Father to the Son. Uh, the people who come to Christ are the people the Father has given to Christ. Uh, now, the, the other question we want to ask is, what does he mean, keep? <laughs> what is keep? Keep, this word keep, it's the word tereo in the Greek language. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible. It's a, it, a keep is a pretty good translation of it because in the English word keep, we have a similar range of meaning in, in what we mean when we use the word keep. Like keep this for later, <laughs> keep this for some purpose, or keep, we might use the uh, two-word expression, keep watch. That means like, uh, keep an eye on this, watch over this, mm -hmm. keep it safe. Uh, <clears throat> we, we might mean to guard, oh, and we might also mean to something like obey, like keep these rules. <laughs> uh, and in the, in the book of John and in the New Testament, this word is used in a similar range of meanings. The, the, one of the ways it's used, it's used for what shepherds do with sheep. They keep sheep. You're a shepherd. What do you do? Oh, I keep sheep. And for me, when we're talking about God or the Lord Jesus keeping his sheep. Well, this is kind of the idea we have in mind here. Father, keep them. Keep them. Watch over them. Look after them. See to them. Protect them. Reserve them. Keep them safe. In fact, some translations literally say keep them safe. Uh, take care. Guard. Shepherd. Keep. 
<clears throat> um, so we're, the Lord is asking the Lord to keep his people. Um, yeah, and I think all of these various ways we might use the word keep are kind of included here. Like he's keeping us for a later glory. He's keeping us, he's keeping us sheltered in this present life. He's keeping us for uh, something more he plans to give us in the future. Uh, one, one way is to do the opposite. Don't lose them. Well, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, keep has a way of, has a idea of keeping a hold of something. Yes. And uh, that also is included. And all of these ideas are themes in the book of John. You know, the idea that the Father has given us to the Son. And anyway, all this, he, no one will take you out of his hand. No one will take you out of my hand. All of those things. So then we want to ask this question, keep how? <laughs> or keep where is another way of saying this. And there's, there's this interesting expression, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name the ones you've given me. I'm sorry, not the ones you've given me. The name you've given me. Keep them in the same name that you've given me. And uh, I just wanted to look at a couple of passages or verses in the book of John that give us a bit of a hint about what this idea of being kept in the name of God might be mean in John 5, 43. I think I've listed these references on your sheet there. John 5, 43. Uh, Jesus is speaking with the Jewish leaders. He's, I'm going to start with verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these scriptures that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. So he's kind of saying, you're not wrong. The, the scriptures do tell you out of eternal life because they point to me. <laughs> I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, <clears throat> that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another one comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you don't seek the glory that is from the one and only God? <clears throat> don't think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. You don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Uh, but in the middle of that text is this expression, I have come in my Father's name. Well, we have an understanding of what that means to come in someone's name, is to come representing that person. Like, uh, okay, so the, the police are at your door and they might say, open up 
in the name of the king. That means they are the executives of the king's authority. They're, uh, and when Jesus comes in here, it's kind of like the policeman because he's talking to people under God's judgment. And he's saying, I've come in, in the name of my father. I've come representing his authority. I don't have any authority of my own except what he gives. And so he's saying, I, I've come in my father's name. In chapter 10, Verse 25. Again, he's talking to the same group of people. In verse 24, the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. (laughs) I think, oh, when he said, I have come in my father's name, he told them. So, yeah. Uh, And you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. These testify of me, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. Well, that idea of of being his sheep is wrapped up in the word keep as well, right? Because shepherds keep sheep. And here in chapter 10, he's talking about how he's the good shepherd and he keeps his father's sheep. And we're going to have more to say about that later. In verse, or chapter 12, and verse 13. I got to start in verse 12 because it's in the middle of a sentence. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, took branches of the palm tree and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Lord here is Yahweh, even the King of Israel. So they're saying Hosanna, uh, which is a, which is a, something like crying out Savior. Like, save us, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yahweh, the King of Israel. King of Israel is the one who comes, Messiah, the anointed King of Israel. And so uh, the name of the Lord, here they're actually it's quoting uh, 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 one of the Old Testament prophets. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's a messianic prophecy. And the name the Lord is the name Yahweh. Uh, so if we were to ask the question, what is the name that the Father gives to the Son? Uh, I believe that's probably the name, the name of Lord, the name Yahweh. <clears throat> uh, so he's saying, keep them in your name which you've given me. So I think one of the things you might notice here is Jesus is uh, quoting the Father's... Have a nice day. Thanks. Thanks, Frankie. I think he has most of the stuff. Watch everything. Thank you. 
So it's just the coffee and leftovers of the eggs. We'll take it from here. Thank you. Oh, thank you, man. Have a good day. Really good. Bye-bye. <laughs> Serving with joy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when Jesus says, keep them in your name, he, it's sort of like saying he's invoking God's own authority in his prayer to God. This is kind of what we do when we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, we're saying something like, because if Jesus were here, he would ask you this too. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're uh, invoking his authority when we pray to him. And Jesus, that's what Jesus is doing. And so he's keeping us in the name of the Lord. Another way we could think of this is, where are we being kept? Well, we're being kept in the name of the Lord, the name that Jesus came in. And so uh, there's a very interesting, it, it, we could think of this in a sort of locational way or in a authority way. Keep them by your own authority or keep them named by you or named with your name. Well, later in our text, he gives us another where. Um, so let me find it here. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. This is John seventeen fifteen. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, this is a this is this particular sentence is a fun sentence to try to translate because in the Greek language, the word evil or evil one is just one word the evil and some translations say keep them from evil and some translations say keep them from the evil one both of these are legitimate translations because the text in the Greek language is not well it could be either one of those it it could be the evil one in which we might say well that's Satan keep them from the evil one or it could mean keep them from the evil that's present in the world. Like he's saying, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I am asking you to keep them from the evil of the world. Well, of course, we don't really need to figure out whether this is talking about Satan or the world, because if it's talking about the world, it's also talking about Satan. And if it's talking about Satan, it's also talking about the world, because those two things go together and they are the common enemy, are they're the evil. We have the exact same problem in the Lord's Prayer, and again, some translations will say, keep them from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but keep us from evil. Yeah. Uh, and some translations will say, keep us from the evil one. And it's the, it is the exact same word, like not, not just the same word, but the same form. And so it has this ambiguity 
in the, in the Greek language. So uh, what I want to say is, well, keep us... He's talking, the context here is the world hates them. So my view is keep them from the evil of the world. Well, who's the governor of the evil of the world? Well, the devil. So if you're keeping them safe from either, you're keeping them safe from both. So, okay, let's say both. <laughs> and uh, so <clears throat> it's the exact same issue in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so here it's giving us two uh, two areas for this keeping. And if we think about a sheep, a, a flock of sheep, well, we might have a fold in which we keep them. It's a protective wall, and we put them in this corral, if you will, and we keep them in this area, safe from that area. So Jesus is saying both of these things, keep them in your name and keep them safe from the evil the out the realm outside your name now we we can probably wonder a lot about what safe might mean in this case but we'll we'll say more so what is the, what are they being kept for and we shouldn't just say they. What are we being kept for? So the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son, is praying to the Father and he's saying, look, keep them in your name. Keep them from evil, from the evil. Uh, and for what? Well, in verse 11, he says, keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are. That they may be one, even as we are. Now, I would just like you to think for, if you can, you can't really, but I'd like you to try, to think about the oneness of Father and Son in the triune God. Think of how they are one. Well, this is a little beyond our imagination. <laughs> okay, it's a lot beyond our imagination. Uh, how are Jesus the Son and the Father, God, one? Because he said he doesn't do anything unless it proceeds from the Father. Not yeah, and he said, I and the Father are one. Yeah. Uh, so if you see me, he says to Philip, you've seen the Father. There's, uh, well, I guess we'd have to call it perfect oneness. Exact representation. We talk about the Trinity, right? The Trinity is one God. Not three gods, one being, one God that eternally exists in three persons. So the, the Spirit's not the Father, and the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Father or the Spirit. Yet there's one God in three persons. The unity of the three persons of God is absolute, perfect unity, but it doesn't obliterate the identifiable persons of the two. Like, 
Can we even think about what we're talking? <laughs> do we do we know what we're talking? We don't know what we're talking. Although we have some inklings of it in our own social uh, lives. So we say that a man and his wife are one. Two become one. And so that their partnership is in fact a representation of the nature of God, the person, identifiable persons in one thing, one being. Uh, yeah. So we have, we can talk about unity among people. We're one. The three musketeers, one for all and all for one. Uh, there's uh, various, we talk about unity in teams or in churches or, uh, so we have kind of an idea, but here Jesus is saying that they may be one just as we are. Well, you are not going to find a higher calling than that. That we would be not not that our individual personhood would be lost, not at all that. But we are the Lord in building the church is building one new man, not a bunch of new men. We've talked about this in our study here. But one new man. Uh, so that's the prayer here. So the Lord keeping us makes us one. That's a very interesting thing to connect. So one thing we might say that he's praying for is that, that we would enter into the intimate fellowship of the triune God. And Jesus in this prayer in John 17, he's going to say this again and again. This idea that we would share in their fellowship. It's Quite amazing. It's what Jesus is talking about in John 15. It says, I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. That's in a statement of oneness. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For here's a very interesting expression. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that a description of, that Jesus has given many times in the book of John about his relationship to the Father? Yes. He says, I don't do anything apart from him. So here he's saying, you don't do anything that would count as fruit apart from me. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them up, cast them into the fire, they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If 
you keep my commandments, you will, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, did Jesus have to earn the Father's love by keeping his commandments? No. He's telling us how he lives in it. Uh, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We're going to come back to that that idea of joy. That's the first 11 verses of John 15. So this is this enjoyment of intimate fellowship with the triune God is the purpose for which Jesus is asking that the Father keep us. He's saying, keep us, keep them, so that they can be one like we are. So they can participate in our oneness, is really a way of saying this. And this is what Paul is talking about when he describes Christians as in Christ. Or when we think about our union with Christ, uh, this is the same thing. It's also, interestingly, the thing the devil and the world oppose. The idea of abiding in Christ. So in all, the, in all of Satan's work from the very beginning, when he had his conversation with Eve, what he was after, and is still after, is disruption in the fellowship that human beings have with God. That's the thing. He wants to break. He wants to alienate anything and everything, including us, from God. And of course, human beings were made, created, to walk in fellowship with God, and so to walk in right fellowship with everything else, and so when he breaks, uh, when he alienates us from God, separates this fellowship, he dooms us. And so uh, Jesus is saying, keep them from the evil, because what evil wants is disruption in abiding in Christ. Now, if you're a person who has been uh, united to Christ, the devil can't actually break that anymore. But he can certainly disrupt it. And by disrupting it in us, might prevent it in others. Or so he might think. Though, honestly, the Lord's going to claim who he claims. And... The devil will not keep a single one away from him that he has claimed. Nevertheless, he's saying this is is the purpose for the Lord's keeping us, is that we would be, uh, we would live in union with Christ and in Christ with the Father. And if we ask how, the answer is the Spirit. He doesn't mention that just yet in this text, though he certainly mentions it in John. Well, the other thing he says, the the other keep for what is in verse 12. John 17, 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. Oh, okay. 
So he's been around doing the keeping up until now. <laughs> now he needs the father to do the keeping because he's going back to the well. We'll come back to that. I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Uh, sorry, it's actually verse 13 that I'm trying to get to. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that, so that, you know, when you're reading your Bible, you should almost stop when you read something like so that. <laughs> it's a logical connection. So uh, now I come to you, these things I speak. Well, what are these things he's speaking? Father, keep them in your name. So I'm asking you this because I'm coming to you so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Wow. Wow. So these are big, this, these are huge, that they may be one, just like we are, and that they may have the same joy that I have completely. These are both themes he's going to can repeat again in, in chapter 17 here. Uh, this should remind us, I think, of Psalm 16, in his presence, his fullness of joy. So the idea of our being united to God, brought into the fellowship of God, and the fullness of joy, those two ideas are absolutely connected. One is the result of the other. It's another way of saying the same. If uh, he's keeping us that we may be one just as, that they may be one just as we are, and that they may have my joy made full in themselves, well, those, one is the result of the other. And so uh, we just read in chapter 15, right? Verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 11. I got that wrong. These things I have spoken to you, all these things about abiding in him, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Well, it's almost repeating himself here in chapter 17. Fullness of joy. Fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> and you know what Satan's distraction is? We think we can find joy everywhere else. Yeah, just just, just keep you from paying any attention to the Lord. Yeah, yeah. you think, oh, it's a good meal, or it's riches, or it's... And, do it, and do it yourself. Yeah. The, Lord, the, the devil wants do-it-yourself religion. The devil loves religion. Yeah. He loves people to pay attention to God as long as they're doing it themselves and not in fellowship with God. The thing he's after is disruption in fellowship with God. It's not so much uh, bad behavior. I mean, bad behavior is good. He, I'm sure he likes it, bad behavior, but it's not the goal. He tempts Eve... To do, to do bad behavior, not because he just enjoys bad behavior, but because it will disrupt her fellowship, because she's going to die. It will disrupt her fellowship with God. It will alienate them from God and us too, by the way. And so the, the, the goal is, is that. 
And of course, this is the destruction of joy. Because in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Even though we think it mentions the opposite. Sure. That really looks good. Yeah, it's good. good. We're going to enjoy that. Yeah. And we're going to be as smart as God. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Didn't work out. So why does Jesus need to ask this? Why is he asking this? Well, he's we've kind of already said this. He says, while I've been in the world, I've been keeping them. Somebody needs to keep them. And I'm coming back to the Father. So, Father, you keep them. Now, this is interesting because he's going to the Father. And he's asking the Father to keep them. So he and the Father are together. <laughs> he says, I've been keeping them and I'm coming to you. We might ask, well, how's the Father going to answer this prayer? Is the Father going to come? We already know the answer to this from the book of John, and you know the answer to this, because Jesus, when he says at the beginning of this talk, when he's talking to the disciples, and he starts talking about he's leaving, and they're like, leaving? You can't, what? Leaving? (laughs) Who's, you could hear them saying, after you read this, you can hear them saying, who's going to keep us? And Jesus says, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be worried. If I go, the Father will send the Spirit. So who's the Father's agent in our keeping today? The Spirit. The Spirit. Now, all, none of that is explicitly stated in this text, but it seems clear to me from the book of John, because Jesus here, he's asking the Father to keep us, because he's leaving us. And he's leaving us and that he's saying, at the same time he's leaving us, he's saying, I'll never leave you. So how has he not left us? He sent the Spirit. So the Spirit of Christ, also the Spirit of the Father, is the keeping agent in the world today. He says, I guarded them, and I haven't lost a single one except the one that was lost to begin with. Then he says this interesting thing. I've given them your word. And this is interesting because the the word given here is in the perfect tense. (laughs) Like I have delivered it and it is delivered. I've given it to them and so they now possess it. That this is a once done and done thing. The giving of the word. And of course, in the book of John, the word is not just the words, but also himself, like he is the word. So that has been delivered to his people and it's delivered so they have it. It's not a thing he keeps. This isn't, I mean, it is, but in this instance, he's not talking about something he keeps on giving. It's something that has been granted. Oh, yeah, he came and he lived with us. He pitched his tent yeah. with us for a while. I mean, right. He, he, he expressed himself in every way to us. Mm-hmm. But when he returns, we still have the word. Right. Because it's been given to us. Now, we also know this from a verse earlier in here in chapter 17. He says, 
in this in the text we looked at last time. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept same word. They have kept your word. And here the word they have kept is also in the perfect tense. So Christ has given his word and his people have taken hold of it. <laughs> they kept it. Well, we're not just talking about the word they wrote down. We're talking about the word they heard, the word that is delivered in the person, in Christ himself. So also, of course, in the written scriptures. But here we're talking about something Christ personally has given them. So it's it's as simple as this. It's chapter one of the book of John. In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. That word. So they got it, and now that they've gotten it, they have it. This is the meaning of the word perfect tense. Perfect tense is a thing like this, something that happened in the past, and the world was going like this. This thing happened, and now the world is going like this. Like, it changes the state of being. They we're talking about something done that changed something that has lasting consequence. Well, that's right. Correct. Correct. Anyone that has it could be described in this way. He gave it and they received it. They took it. They kept it. And I love it that he uses the word kept. He doesn't just use a simple word for receive. He uses the word kept as in they latched onto it. They regarded it as a thing to be guarded, a precious thing. Yeah. So he says, I've been keeping them and now I'm coming to you. So someone needs to be keeping them. I guarded them. I didn't lose anyone. I gave them your word. Uh, we have a similar thing in chapter 14. I guess I don't want to read this whole text, but this whole keeping the word thing in chapter 14 is where Jesus says, uh, If you love me, you will keep, same word, my commandments. You will become the shepherds of my commandments. You will be the protectors of my commandments. You will be the ones who watch over and obey my commandments. You will love my commandments. Uh, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth with whom, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him, doesn't know him. But you know him because he abides with you. Same word, abides, uh, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So when Jesus is talking about sending the Spirit, he's talking about himself coming to you. So we have him in having the Spirit. Uh, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Oh, there's our union with Christ. 
He who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him, disclose myself to him. This is a, just like a description of the upward spiral of the Christian life. Uh, one of them, Judas, not Iscariot, says, Lord, what's happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Same expression. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. <laughs> These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Father, the Spirit points to Christ. The Spirit reminds us of the word of Christ. The, uh, the whole ministry of the Spirit is uh, about our fellowship with the Father in Christ. So... <clears throat> uh, I've given them your word, okay? That you, know, you just kind of elaborate in chapter 14, which was earlier in the same evening, in the same talk, that John 17 is the closing prayer of that talk. I've given them your word. So I've been keeping them. I'm coming to you. I guarded them. I didn't lose a single one. I've given them your word. But they are to remain in the world. Oh, well, that's the first disappointing thing here. But, uh, of course, it's in the plan of God. It's not, shouldn't be disappointing. He says, <clears throat> I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. So we are to remain in the world, so we need to be kept. We need to be kept, the possessors of God's word, the ones who've kept God's word, the ones who've been given from the Father to the Son, the ones to whom has been given the word, Christ himself, and so that's why he's asking. I think he's also asking for the record. <laughs> in other words, this is a public prayer. This is a prayer in the presence of the people he's praying for. They, we need to know this. That the Father has been asked by the Son to keep us. In chapter 10, a little later from the text we read earlier, verse uh, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep.
My sheep hear my voice. My sheep receive the word, keep the word. And I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. Now we've read in the beginning of John chapter 17, Jesus' definition of eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this fellowship, life in fellowship with God is at the heart of everything. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, that has all these themes that we've been reading in the prayer are, are present here as well. Uh, so I close with this question. Is there anything for you to do here? <laughs> is there anything for us to do? Jesus, when, when Jesus wants you to be kept, who does he talk to about that? Oh, so he didn't ask you to keep yourself. He didn't say, hey, guys, keep yourselves in my name or in the Father's name. Who's doing the keeping? Well, we're keeping something, but we're not keeping ourselves. When Jesus wants you kept, he, he prays that the Father will keep you. Do you think the Father ever turns him down on this prayer? Well, he says not. He says, whoever the Father draws will come to me. And if anyone comes to me, I never, send them, I never turn them down. That's also in the book of John. Anyone who comes, I take them. Because if they come, it's because the Father gave them to me. <laughs> so it's all, who's doing the keeping here? Are you keeping yourself? Did you bring yourself in the first place? Well, it might have felt like it, but the Father was at work in it. So you, he drew you to Christ, you came to Christ, you saw Christ, you thought, oh, he's Christ. And so you received the word. He's keeping you the whole way. Uh, now, there is something we keep, and that's the word. We keep the word. But here, in this prayer, keeping the word is regarded as something done and accomplished and not reversible. They've kept your word. They latched onto it, so they have it. Now, we have some wavering in our attention to the word, I think. Do we not? That's my experience. Uh, I don't always feel like I'm keeping it that well or that carefully. But I also think I, I can't let go of it. I can't just let it go. It's not a thing you can let go. 
if you can let go of it, then I don't think you ever really had a hold of it. Yeah. If you grasped it to begin with, that was the work of God and the Spirit in your soul. You saw the truth of it, and you can't unsee that. Uh, So what we do is receive and trust the Word. And when we say the Word, we mean the Word in the big sense, in the in the in the perfect exhibition of the image of God in the man Jesus. Which we know through the word, the written word. And yet it's him, not the ink and paper. Right. Well, and how, if you ask, how did we do that? Why do we, why did we do that? And other people don't. The answer is the, the work of the spirit. So we latch on to the word. So what we do is rest in God's keeping. What you do is do nothing. (laughs) What you do is do nothing. Now, does that mean there's no work for you? you? You can just lay around your whole life? Well, that would be hard to pull off. I don't know how anyone would do that if they wanted to. And the answer is no, of course. Those who abide in Christ bear fruit. So if we abide in Christ, we're going to end up doing some things. But really, we're going to be like him in the sense that we're not doing our own things. We're not producing what we produce we're bearing what he produces. And that can seem like a hard to tell the difference kind of thing. And I think for many, a lot, for most of us, most of the time, it is hard to tell the difference. What's the difference between a good work that's done out of rest in Christ and a good work that's just a good work? Well, they look the same. But the point is, uh, the point is, Am I abiding in Him? Not am I doing good works. And lots of people do plenty of good works all the time. And lots of people who abide in Christ aren't that great at doing good works. They should be growing. They should be more and more exhibiting. They should be keeping His commandments, loving one another, being the main one. So... The, we, we are always coming back to this in our discussion here, though, that these are things to pray for, not things to do. That the Lord does this. He keeps us. We rest in what he does. This transforms everything about our lives. And ultimately, of course, we're being kept for that day in the future when we will experience this uh, fellowship with the living God in Christ by the Spirit uh, completely in its fullness. And we will know that in His presence is fullness of joy.
been going a long time, so I'm going to stop there unless somebody has some questions or comments or additions. It's really cool because to Jesus, the way he's describing this, he's describing two distinct realms. The realm of being in the Father and then the realm of being in the world. And they're mm -hmm. distinctly different. It's interesting that of the 12 disciples, 11 of them were in the Father's realm. Mm -hmm. One of them wasn't. If you looked at them, they all looked the same, smelled the same, <laughs> kind of were doing the same things, kind of had the same doubts, but the other 11 were believing and receiving and believing what he had to say, yeah. while the other one was going alone, wasn't exactly buying it all. Yeah, we're studying the book of Hebrews where the, the issue is just kind of the same exact issue, like here you've got a church, are they... Do they really, are they really in Christ? And of course, many, most of them are, but he's concerned, are, is everyone in Christ? Because here I'm hearing this talk about people departing from Christ. That's, that's got to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and so it's that same thing, the wheat and the tares, the, the, there's a, there's a covenantal community the church and uh, present within that community, there there may be folks who never really or will be never really kept the word. Right. So uh, it is what it is. Right. And now, obviously, we should be concerned. Right. The whole book of Hebrews is written over this concern. Now, the book of Hebrews ends up being about a lot more bigger deal things and really connects the whole Bible together. But uh, at the same time, it's like, yeah, we need to always preach the word. Because <laughs> I'm not going to solve this problem by getting people to act like Christians in a slightly better way. But I always want to exalt Christ and point people to Christ so that if they see Christ and they really see him, then they're in this category. Uh, if I just tell people how to behave themselves... Uh, well, the other uh, thing is, too, when you're witnessing or sharing with a person about Christ and they get irritated at you, they're irritated at his name. Yeah. You're representing his name. Right. So if they're not necessarily disliking you, they're disliking the fact that the one that sent you. Well, you know I mean? and those two can be the same thing. They might dislike you. Yeah, they, they might, might, they might, they might really say, well, if that's, if that's your thing, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Right. They, might, they might even kill you over this. It's happened. Uh, but you're representing his name. Right. And he says, look, they're not, you're not of the world either, so they're not going to like you if it's right in our text. They're, in fact, they're not only going to not like you, they're going to hate you. That's a little more active. And so, you know, you have Paul writing to Timothy saying, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not maybe, but will be. It's a question of when and how hard, you know, and some more than others, obviously. And uh, Jesus says the same thing. Look, the world hates people who are not of the world. What do you expect? 
Peter says the same thing. If you're persecuted for Christ's name, well, rejoice. Now, don't let yourself be persecuted for being a jerk or a criminal. But, you know, if it's really for Christ, that's a, that's a glory. Yeah. Nice to know that, that uh, Jesus asked God to keep us. Isn't that nice? Yeah. So does, yeah, we said this already, but can, can there be any doubt that the Father's answer to this prayer is yes? So, and Jesus said it earlier in chapter 10, right? No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. Oh, man, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Here you have a conversation between the Eternal Son and the Eternal Father about you. And what is he asking? Take care of them. Keep them. And, yeah, the Father doesn't say no to the Son. The Son doesn't pray anything that isn't the Father's will to begin with. Yeah. So the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. We always need to try to trust it. Yeah. Trust it. Well, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this great encouragement. Thank you for the Son. Thank you for the Word delivered to us in the Son. Thank you for the Spirit that has empowered us to understand, to grasp, to receive your word. Lord, help us to walk by faith, not not to try to do things for ourselves or on our own, but to always remember that you are our Father, that you are watching over us, taking care of us, providing for us, so we can live with courage and strength because of these things. And uh, we thank you for all of these promises. In Jesus' name, amen.